on today's Say It Ain't So Sports. The NBA is back. We finally are going to have sports again. We're going to go over all the little facets of the NBA. It's planned to a turn to action. We also have the MLB. Their complete incompetence to get their sport going. We're going to go all in on that. And then we'll come back with part three of our NFL over-under series, Vegas win totals. Part three, eight teams today. It's a great episode. Stay tuned. The NBA guys, we shit on it a lot, but we got to give them credit here. They got their deal done. Um, the governors and the players' union, the governors, not governors. the owners. Yep. They came to a deal. There's a ton of stuff involved here. We're going to go over all of it. So we'll start with there was a lot of speculation how many teams would continue the season. They're going to cut off 10 teams, kind of the bottom feeders, and 22 teams are going to be invited to go to the Walt Disney worldwide sports complex in orlando florida and they're going to play the whole season there kind of be all in the hotels as a team the vote was 29 to 1 in favor of this by the owners so like this was a very popular deal um we'll just start off with i guess saying like initial reactions when we figured out there would be nba basketball because there was a time when we were very pessimistic on it coming back on this pod we shit on the nba a lot some would say we're anti-nba some would say that but at this point, Sounds I, I got to commend the NBA, the commissioners, the owners, the players, you know, get, just get, getting some deal done, getting us some sports. I'm probably going to become like a, a massive basketball fan now, maybe. Who knows? But it's just going to be great to see some uh, live sports going. Can't beat it. Um, I think it's going to be insane. Yeah, yeah so definitely, definitely a huge move. Uh, at some point, like maybe March or April, like there was a point where maybe there wasn't going to be sports for a while. Maybe in the NFL is gone. I mean, there, there's tons of takes going around. It's just great to see that we got a date and a time. Because uh, for a while, like about the past month, it was like, oh, the NBA is coming back. There's no deal. They finally strike a deal. I wish it would have been July 4th. That would have been amazing. Uh, like just the, the the day for America, bring back, you know, a, a large sports league. That would be awesome. But it's just great to have sports back. I'm, I'm not really a better into NBA, but definitely going to start doing that once they start. It'll be fun. Yeah, so we'll get more into the dates in a second. But so the way this is going to work is they're not going right into the playoffs. They're going to start with eight regular season games. And after that eight games, if the nine seed is within four games of that eighth spot, they're going to play like a like a play in tournament where the nine seed has to win two games and the eight seed just has to win one. So I guess this will like keep it more competitive because it is I think this is actually like a great thing they're doing because. You saw, like, if it was just immediately jump into the playoffs, you'd only bring 16. But also with eight games, it's almost impossible to make up that much ground. There was going to be, I think, like, we're missing out on 15-plus games. So cutting that off, cutting off, like, the Pelicans, they would have had no shot at making the playoffs if the if the four-game uh, requirement wasn't a thing. So we're going to have, you know, that's going to be interesting if we have, like, a weird play-in tournament for the first time. Yeah, so yeah, like you- some March Madness vibes. Yeah, you mentioned the the Pelicans. Um, this this move to have it be twenty two teams instead of going straight into the playoffs was done specifically so that the Pelicans have a chance to make the playoffs. The NBA wants that, those Zion ratings. They want to see Zion versus John Morant in that in that nine versus eight series. Like, 
it's obvious, but look, none of us are going to complain. Obviously, that's what like basketball fans want to see. Like they want to see Zion get a shot at potentially making the playoffs. Zion and the rest of the Pelicans, that is. Um, and the winner of that series would likely play the the Lakers. So you'd get like a series between either like John Moran and the Grizzlies against uh, the Lakers, and then or or it'll be uh, like a, Pel- a Pelicans Lakers series. It should be pretty hyped up because of the Anthony Davis trade and just like having Zion in the playoffs. So. Right. Um, and so this this is gonna get gonna get set into place on June twenty first. That's when the players are gonna be returning. As Cap said, he wanted to start July fourth, and I think one of the, you know, not many criticisms of this, but one of them was why wait so long? Right now we're recording this on June 9th, and June twenty first is twelve days away. So why do we have to wait? This also was done a few days before. Why do we have to wait all this time to get the players? in their home markets and kind of start this thing. I don't know. That was something that I personally, like, I feel like you want to get this started as soon as possible now. Yeah. I would say throughout the whole process, like I, I definitely appreciate that Adam Silver was able to basically like, like do with the MLB kick and the owners and players on the same page, uh, did get and, and like get the season rolling. That being said, I feel like there's just a lack of common sense here. You don't need uh, like an extra two months to get the players ready. I don't think it, like why can't we get this like moving way faster? Get this plan in motion. Get some games going by the Fourth of July weekend. I think I think it's time, and I I don't think it's uh it, it might hurt the uh the NBA if if somehow like the MLB is able to strike a deal during yeah. this time and they're doing spring training before the NBA is back. And then if that's the first sport back, a lot of the lure with the NBA will immediately go out the window. Uh, quickly, I want to say, like, something um, that's big with this is that coronavirus, like, we're going to have the test. So while we have the test, it doesn't make sense to delay it. It'd be one thing if maybe they didn't have all the tests. But there's going to be daily testing. And if you do test positive, you'll be in self-isolation for seven to eight days, depending on your symptoms. And just having all the tests, like, that would make the only reason, I would say, to make it push back but i guess they were like set on doing it later so you know we're gonna have to wait a little longer yeah and it's really it really seems like it's just precautionary reasons they they want to make sure that the whole orlando setup is going as smoothly as possible there's a lot of logistics that have to be worked out um i do think that they don't need until july 31st to start but i do understand having at least a month of like of time before actually starting um, but um, going toward, towards a lost point about Adam Silver being able to do uh, something that the NBA, uh, that the MLB can't, um, the MLB, I'm just going into the MLB now, but the MLB, uh, because Loft did say um, that, like, what if the um, MLB comes back before that? I just can't see any way that the MLB even comes back at all for a 2020 season. Um, I'll probably be wrong on that now because I'm saying that on air, but um, I hope I'm wrong also, but I just... Uh, the ML, the MLB and MLB players are their own worst enemies. They'll never they'll never agree to anything. We've seen this happen before. We saw this in '94, the strike that almost killed baseball. Then this might be, and it took the steroid era to be able to um to like get back on their feet. Baseball that is, and then um like I don't know how baseball is going to be able to like survive this potentially if there are other sports coming back during what is traditionally baseball season and then them just like not playing a season at all yeah so uh we as a group and me in particular have criticized adam silver multiple times for like not having a spine uh Mm -hmm. when it comes to dealing with the players in here that did work to his benefit though because as you can see in the mlb the players don't trust the owners at all 
to give them like a fair deal. They always feel like the, the owners are trying to get one over on them, and which is true. As if you see what the owners have offered here, the players had like it was a good faith negotiation between Silver, the owners, and the players. Everyone trusted them because they know Silver is just he'll bend it's over and guy. do anything for them. Yep. So it, it worked out in his favor in this situation. Yeah, we'll say it makes the MLB much more difficult to get done as you have a whole season to plan out, right? And that really becomes a big part when you have the salaries because you're going to obviously have a decrease in revenue because you won't have fans. The NBA is going to have full paychecks. And while it's not going to be for nearly as many games as the MLB and stuff like that, that's the big issue with the MLB, right? Pro-rated salaries, I want this much. Owners want to play less games because the players want more percentage for the games, all that kind of stuff. But the NBA will give the players their full, rightful paychecks during this uh, regular season and playoffs. So I think that's kind of cool that they were able to not have to take. You know, we criticized, we talked about, like, what Silver doing, letting these poor owners in the league. But it's nice to see that they're able to pay their players. And then, you know, some other interesting things with this is the schedule now for the NBA. Because, you know, a lot of people have been saying for years now, why not move the schedule back to Christmas? That's when people start caring about the NBA anyway. Having to compete with football, basically the whole first half of the NBA season has killed the ratings all every year because obviously football is king. And so now with this new league uh, schedule, we don't know if it's going to be permanent, but the season will end on October 12th, the draft will be on the 15th, and then the new season is going to start December 5th. So a very short time in between the seasons, or December 1st, sorry. But by doing that, maybe this could be the excuse the NBA has always needed to push back the season and let football have the fall. Yeah, not just only push back the season, but potentially decrease the amount of games. Because the NBA has gone through... um, a disaster in which um, just players sitting out primetime games where they lose a lot of revenue for like TV revenue or even ticket revenue because the star players are sitting out a bunch of uh, the the regular season games. A lot of this like load management. You saw Kawhi played like 50 games or something last year, and then the Raptors went on to win the title or something. I don't. I'm just ballparking it, but um, like you see, you see a lot of that. And what putting the season starting like at Christmas potentially and then ending at the normally scheduled time in like June would be like a 66 game season like you saw in 2011 2012 the lockout shortened season where players are playing every game and it's a lot like and it's a lot more of a better product that uh, for the majority of the season so I think that that this opens up the um, the floodgates to potentially uh, shortening the season uh, permanently. Yeah, I mean, it's it's good. One thing I will say, very clownish on the NBA's part, is they scheduled the NBA draft, which already gets terrible ratings, the same night as Thursday Night Football, Bills, Chiefs. In like, is anyone going to watch the draft in that? Like, come on. Why yeah, why do you have to schedule that day? Josh Allen Holmes or... Yeah, NBA draft. Are you kidding me? It's also like a very weak draft this year. So yeah. like, they're definitely there's not really any like college star power coming out. Yeah. So they're really gonna just gonna get slaughtered in the ratings there, and then they're gonna blame it on like people illegally streaming it. Can't wait on Reddit. Yeah, no, <laughs> yeah, we had seven viewers because everyone was watching on Reddit. Yeah, no, the NBA draft. You just look at Twitter, and only the first like four picks mean anything. Like last year was one of the more hyped up drafts, I feel like, because you had Zion Williamson and John Moran, but it was still a two player draft. You don't really see a lot of deep NBA drafts anymore. And there's no like, there's no. I mean, we talk, we always rip the draft, but there's no draw like we see two years ago. Lamar, oh, where's he gonna go? Oh my God! Like Jordan Love was picked in the twenties, Aaron Rodgers' successor. You don't, you ever have those draw dropping moments? 
Yeah, you never have those moments in the NBA draft where it's like, oh my God, the Lakers drafted a small forward at 31, LeBron's out the door. Like, never going to be like that. Um, another thing here is with the drug testing. So the NBA, because I think like a big thing we have to look at is some of these players have definitely just not done shit, banking on the season getting canceled, have been just sitting on their couch, eating, playing video games 24 7. They're going yeah, to test. They're going to test. They're getting their eight hours of sleep. Yeah, they're getting Tobias Harris, I'm sure, you know, since obviously sleep. He's catching up on sleep. Such a big I don't want to hear him complain about sleep ever again because he's had no excuse to not sleep 24 hours every single day for the last three months. Um, but they're going to test PEDs, which I think is good because then players won't be able to kind of get back into it. But I do think it's going to create some fascinating, like, injury outlooks because you're definitely going to see guys, like, tweaking hammies and stuff like that, being out of shape. Because just like there's never been this unique layoff all of a sudden in the NBA. And even though like they get plenty of time to come back, I feel th- I still feel like there have definitely been guys who just haven't done shit and are going to be in for a world of pain when they come back. Yeah, that's actually something where like the players are going to be like pretty upset with. A lot of guys are probably going to end up getting hurt. It's going to add a bunch of wrinkles. But it's all it also like while it creates more drama and makes certain series closer and stuff, it's really going to suck if a star player goes down yeah. uh, because of this. And then that adds even like another asterisk to this whole playoff situation. Yeah. Um, the the way that the NBA I guess is kind of making up for the players is they're letting them smoke weed. Recreational drugs will not be tested during this probably a good thing too because there have definitely been players just lighting it up and then when they get their coronavirus tests in like a week that would probably not be the best look for the nba if half the league was unable to play but yeah definitely gonna be fascinating you really hope there aren't gonna be injuries but it's almost impossible to like have this thing go without anyone getting hurt due to this just massive break in the middle of the schedule yeah and now uh i'm really excited for the playoffs to actually start up again uh mm-hmm. we need sports bad the country's feeding for it, uh, right. and th- there are going to be some interesting moments. Watching the Jazz play, seeing Rudy, Rudy Gobert go yep. out there. You know, yep. while there won't be a crowd there, I would expect some booze from other players. Oh yeah, <laughs> you know, uh, I would <laughs> expect some heckling. Uh, but in, in all seriousness, I, I can't wait to see that happen. You hear about like a rift between Mitchell and Gobert. I'm excited to see that. I'm excited to see how the Sixers come back. Like they're a team that struggled in the regular season, and this playoff format kind of just like gives them new life. So I'm yeah. excited to see that with like them not really needing their home court advantage. So I'm excited to see a bunch of stuff like that. Um, uh, this is a question I have for you guys. Um, I personally would not agree with this stance, but a lot of people think that um, whoever wins this year's title would uh, like they should have an asterisk next to that title because of this whole like weird scenario. I personally don't agree with that. But what are I you think, guys saying? I think the way it's working right now is like. If LeBron wins, there's definitely going to be an asterisk. You even heard like Skip say that today. But if Kawhi wins or any other team, it's going to be the most impressive championship overcoming all the odds. Definitely, though. If LeBron wins 100% asterisk, he still has three titles. I also think if he loses, he'll if probably he does, think, well, LeBron would have won if it was a normal season. Yeah, exactly. It's the same thing both ways. Like I, yeah. I really don't think it matters. Um, but I think the NBA has done a good job, though, that they, they're they keeping the playoff series the same length. They're trying to give advantages to the team that should be having home court. Like, they're, they're doing the best they can to remedy this and not have any asterisks next to whoever the champion is eventually. But I, it's a, there is some, like, innate, like, it's going to be difficult for people to forget about this. Another fun, like, scheduling thing they have is, like, we see a lot of times, like, the, in the first round, the eight, the one seed will just, like, sweep the eight seed in four games. And then they'll have like a two and a half, three week layover between their next game because the 
four and five seeds are battling out in seven games. If that's the case, and you have like uh, um, playoff series ending early, the NBA is going to have like a flexible schedule since everyone will be in the same court and same kind of location that they'll be able to play the games earlier than expected. So there won't be like those long layoffs that we're used to. Uh, yeah, and I do appreciate that. Like, while they, I think they did start too late, well, they're, they're planning to start too late when they have the means to do it, like, tomorrow, it would have been really a pain in the ass if they had the series blocked out like that. Uh, and that is interesting for the networks providing these games. Uh, there's going to be a lot of games going on at once, and I would think I would think all the regular season games are going to be, like, primetime games uh, because networks just have nothing to air right now, and, and in the playoff games, they're going to be moving stuff around all the time. Yeah. Um, the one now major, like the last thing is the fans, because we're used to basketball with fans. Like we don't know what it's like without fans. I remember when March Madness, before it got canceled, they announced it wouldn't be fans and we were complaining saying, oh, it's going to ruin it. Stuff like that. And now we're just begging for anything to come back. There are talks about adding 2k crowd noise into it. I think that's just kind of like a stupid tweet that someone sent that's picking up traction. But without fans, I think that's definitely going to decrease kind of like the, intensity levels you get from the NBA playoffs with everyone going crazy. You saw teams like the Lakers push for that one seed to get the home court advantage that they otherwise wouldn't have. So I think that's a really like interesting thing when you look at now there won't be anyone cheering on these guys at all. Well, I know a suggestion that's been brought up a lot to try to remedy this is just mic the court. Yeah. Uh, let's get the hot mics in. Let's see what's going on. See how the players talk to each other. See how the real dynamics are. Listen to the coaches and just try to supplement that that lack of intensity through what's actually happening on the court. And that's something, too, with baseball that's been brought up because obviously you need something with no fans. And, yeah, micing up the players is a good call. I just hope that the squeaky shoes aren't an issue because I've watched some D-Gen college games that I bet on with no fans, and you can't hear anything besides the shoes squeaking all over the court. Um I think that's pretty much it with the proposal. I mean, great for the league that they're able to get the stone, especially with basketball being the bubble that it is, obviously, and on the downward trend with terrible ratings this year. I mean, just awful ratings. So you really got to give them credit here to be able to get the deal done. Maybe they'll probably be the first sport back, but it all depends on what baseball does, honestly. And that could go a million different Before we move on to that, I just want to – I think we got to pose the question. Did the coronavirus save the NBA? Did they stop the bubble from bursting? You know, this is going to be huge ratings. This NBA comeback. Is NBA comeback. So, to the playoffs, they otherwise wouldn't have been in. So what I'll say is, um, did Adam Silver make the coronavirus? I think it has to be brought up in an attempt to save its ratings. And if that's hey. true, you know, I call out Silver a lot. I just applaud him. Does Adam Silver have hundreds of thousands of bodies on his hands? I think it's something we all think about. I got. I can bring this theory even closer because we saw when Daryl Morey ripped China, the league was all over China saying he was uneducated, backing China a million percent. Yeah. Maybe that's led to really good relationships where Silver was able to kind of plot this thing in China, see what happens to save his league and his face. These are salacious allegations. And uh, well, not allegations. We're saying it, we're, we're just posing a question. Uh, protect ourselves in court here, but I think someone should look into it. I think someone should look into it. Um, yeah, so is that it with the NBA? Thrilled it's coming back, even for non-basketball guys. Maybe we see Herney become a devout NBA guy. Yeah, good for the NBA. This is a huge PR win for them. Uh, a league that's not really winning right now is the MLB. You know, they're getting dragged everywhere, and I think deservedly so. Let's get into that. 
Oh my god, dude. The, the MLB. They, like I mentioned before, like 10 minutes ago, they always get in the way of themselves. The, the players' union and the owners always get in the way of themselves, right? The owners never want to budge for anything. And this was extremely predictable, by the way, right? You see, you've seen this pattern. You saw uh, Dolan's brother, uh, who owns the um, the Indians, say, "Enjoy uh, Lindor while you, while he's while he's there," talking about because he's not going to like pay him any money or he sign him, right? You, like you see a lot. You saw a lot of the teams, the majority of the teams, uh, not pay the the minor leaguers, right? So you just, like you see that they don't want to risk going going under for even a season. Um, which is understandable at the same time. It's like you want to get that product out on the field so it won't be as bad. You still have to like have the season, but they're they're gonna they're gonna not budge. And I just see no way that the players and the owners agree to anything because they'll both get in the way themselves. Yeah, you know, what this comes down to is the way the MLB is set up right now. A lot of these owners were handed their teams by the league uh, back when C League was the commissioner, and now they're afraid to lose money just for even a season uh, like, to do this to secure the long-term future of the sport. Thinking about this, uh, if you entered any other business, you're not guaranteed a profit every year, but you still have to like be open. And uh, right now, like like the the owners are so afraid of taking a loss just on this season that they're probably going to like hinder the MLB from this point on. The, the next CBA negotiations are really going to be something else. Yeah, I mean, this is really tough because baseball is my first love, watching those Yankees growing up with Derek Jeter. But this is, like, I think maybe this has been just really pathetic to see the league kind of fall apart, honestly. You have the CBA negotiations in a year, which now maybe that's an even double lockout here because the tensions are so high between the owners and the players. Um, and you see the owners, they're just being cheap at the end of the day. So yeah, as Loft said, like any other business, you, you lose money. You had a, You can expect to lose money. You had the Cardinals, like a high up in their organization, who had ownership ties. Say today, yeah, baseball. It's not really that profitable of a sport. You know, it's not really a profitable investment. And he bought an eight million dollar mansion last year. So like, it's just to see these owners not willing to pay their minor leaguers. You even saw like, and the inconsistencies. You saw the Yankees. They released forty minor leaguers. While the Royals are keeping everyone on payroll. I mean, they're one of the cheapest teams out there. They don't sign anyone. And to see kind of like half the teams are paying, half aren't, some are laying off employees. It's really sad to see. And a deal is not even close to the end of sight. We got a passing bomb. While we're recording this, the MLB came out with a proposal, the Players Union, and it looks like the owners are going to decline that too. So there's really no positive outlook you can uh, major league this right now. I mentioned earlier um... – well, I, I, we've mentioned before on the podcast, like the concerns about NBA owners not really having like liquid assets to in cash flow to pay their players. And the MLB, this is a tremendous issue. Someone has to go into the MLB books as well because if, yeah. if a franchise like like the the Cardinals are talking about that, uh, like if you think about it, it is kind of feasible that like their their cash would be a bit lower because like the overhead on MLB team is insane. You have to pay this many employees along with this yeah. many players, like keep your stadium running. And all that and all that shit, but I think it is concerning that these uh, owners like can't sustain a loss for a year, and I think someone has to look into the books on these MLB teams and really question who's the MLB giving these teams to. Yeah, I mean, I mean, let's going into like looking into um, some own, like teams owners and their books. Let's just start off with the obvious one: the New York Mets, right? I'm a Mets fan, but their ownership 
was involved in one of the one of if not the largest Ponzi schemes in American history, right? So like you can see a lot of these guys aren't like clean necessarily. Um, I mean, maybe just the Mets, but they don't pay people when there's not a pandemic either. So exactly. like, you don't expect exactly. And up. and you've also seen a slowdown like of of free agency in the past years. Yeah. I mean, this year was a little different with Garrett Cole, Anthony Rendon, and Strasburg getting like going off the market pretty quickly. But you saw in 2018, which is one of the most hyped up free uh, baseball yep. free agencies in recent memory, Machado wasn't signed until like late January, early early February, and then Bryce Harper wasn't even signed yeah. until after spring training began, right? So you see like a, a pattern of of owners not wanting to pay players once they hit free agency, and it goes across all, the entire league, right? You you just don't see players like getting getting paid what they're worth, and then also the audacity for the owners to like give like Garrett Cole example like three hundred twenty four million dollars, and then tell him that he can only, like that this year he, they only want him to be making like seven of his thirty five million dollars this year. It's just it's just asinine. When three months ago, I get that there's a pandemic and they're not playing as many games, but you're saying that. Like he's worth like you you value Garrett Cole thirty six million dollars, but then all of a sudden uh, the pandemic hits and you and you only value him at seven dollars, but you value somebody um, like you value like Jason Dominguez, I guess, like like less like more more than Garrett Cole in terms of, like how much you you're val- like the difference between before and after the pandemic. I mean, like the owners, you just can't expect to make money every single year. This is a risk you take owning a team, owning a business. You lose money sometimes. No one could have seen the pandemic coming, but it happened. You can't try to salvage it and make money and just fuck the players over and over, which they're trying to do. The players just want to play baseball. You see them say, like, yeah, I just want to get on the field, and the owners are so unwilling to do it. There's no reason that only 50 games to be played. None. You have you have so much time left on the schedule. You can still you can also delay the schedule a little bit. You can start, you can end the year in November. You don't need to play 50 games. That is such a force. That's such a bad look for baseball, especially when it's a sport where you 162 games is like what you need to evaluate players. You look at last year, you see in 50 game stretches, Nationals wouldn't have made the playoffs. The Giants would have had like the second best record, and the Nationals won the World Series, and the Giants were one of the worst teams in the league. You need to play the most games you can. You can't get cheap here with these prorated salaries to try to fuck the players over. Just yeah. take a loss, accept it. I'm really sick of it. Yeah, um, I, I totally agree with what you're saying, Ryan. Like, baseball is just one of those sports where you need you need a high volume of games to weed out talent. Because you see teams like the Mets will start off extremely hot in the first month Love of the season. And, yeah. and teams like the Yankees, teams like the Yankees who are, are not very good in the beginning of the year, could could you – and, like, and imagine that. We play a 50-game season and the Yankees miss the playoffs. So, like, somehow, some nightmare scenario, they start off real slow. And then you have, like, a bunch of shitter teams in the playoffs. Which Seattle Mariners like, started 19 and 2 last exactly, year. That's what I'm saying. It, it, it's very possible that we see these fluke teams make the playoffs and it, it would make for a shitty postseason. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. The, own, the owners at this point, I know there's a lot of money in baseball, and that's the pro, I think that's the big issue here. Like, there's a lot of money, there's a lot on the line. But I think the owners, at the end of the day, I think it'll look worse for the owners if they just, if they just keep being cheap and, and, uh, fuck, and fuck it up, don't have a season or have like an extremely shortened season, rather than just ca- kind of like uh, caving. Uh- to the players a little more and just getting a season. And even if they do lose money, it'll, it'll keep the reputation of baseball being like a reliable sport. I will say this. Like baseball has always had a history of just like not getting it, not understanding how to yep. grow their game. Right. The, well, I forgot what the deal is, but like, I, I don't know like the official name of it, but like 
how they're how they're the only people like the only entity that's allowed to like post baseball content yeah, like if, so they, like so you can't post baseball content unless you're affiliated with the MLB and during the social media rise that was crucial for the NBA and NFL to get yeah. highlights out there on all these different mediums but in the yeah. end the MLB yeah, it just seems like the MLB is just like is just like 20 years behind the curve the ML, yeah the, the ML the MLB took took a short term a short term uh gain for what would seems to be a long term loss like before yeah. the rise of social media baseball was king obviously baseball was the sport in America then football took it over I'd say before like after the strike football like officially like became like the um number yeah. one sport but then um basketball is on the rise and basketball it doesn't make as much money as baseball just because baseball like has the 162 games that's one of the reasons why it's so lucrative is because they they have 81 regular season home games a year um which is which it which is understandable why the owners would want to like pay the players less. But the thing is, the players are agreeing to the prorated salaries. The players understand we're not we're playing as many we're not playing as many games this year. We'll get paid per however many games we play. That makes sense. But the owners then want to like make it want to weed out even more money for, that the players deserve, and that the owners were willing to give the players when they signed those contracts. Yeah, uh, yeah. and let's set this straight too, because in March when the pandemic hit, they agreed to a deal of how to pay the players and all that stuff and now the owners are going back on it because it's been longer than they expected and they're trying to fuck the players over even more the players are willing to compromise to a certain extent right but the owners are just unwilling they keep offering the same deal in all these different forms so like from a fan's eye you see they're offering 76 games and you're like oh i'm a, like players accepted but if you actually look at the numbers the pay would be so little so outrageous it's like the comparison i saw is like you give someone a 20 dollar bill and then they say they don't want it, and you give them two ten dollar bills. Like there's no actual pr- progress in negotiations here. And another reason this just sucks is because, as we've been saying, baseball has been dying in the last this century. Really, this was a year to bring them back. You have the two coasts, Yankees and Dodgers. They're the two superhero teams. And say what you want about the Astros scandal. Obviously, it fucked me, Herney, lost beloved Yankees over over, robbed them of a championship. But that's good for baseball in a sense. It gives. The media is something to talk about. It gives everyone a team to hate in a way that everyone would be tuning into those Astros games, seeing Altuve get plumped, seeing Bregman get the shit rocked out of him. You know, that was must-watch TV that we're getting taken away. You have, obviously, the two coasts being two of the superpowers, yeah. and we're getting robbed of all that, and it's just, just really sad to see. With, with, like, uh, in a vacuum, if there's no corona, this would have been a very lucrative year for the MLB, I think, like coming off that Astros scandal. I think that would have been a very lucrative year, and it's just sad to see that it's going in this w- direction now with, with, the, with the owners just totally skimping out on their league. Yeah, and, uh, more the, positive outlook there. Yeah, I mean, the I'll try and make some some I'll try and get some positive thing out of this. But the one thing I would say, if there is a season that comes back, which I highly doubt, and I I, I do think that they would add something that baseball probably should have added way way longer, like um a much longer time ago, which is the universal DH. Um, even though I love seeing uh, pitchers rake, especially for the Mets, Mets always have uh, decent hitting pitchers. Um, I I do think though that uh, the universal DH would like would help offense in in what's becoming a league where they want to see, where everybody just wants to see home runs and everything, right? So then more teams have those guys. It, it it creates more jobs too. It lets some of those older players who kind of don't have a position anymore stay around in the National League when they otherwise wouldn't have. 
You know, you pay to see pitchers pitch, not hit. Yeah, that's something that should be yeah. right there. But who knows when we even see that, Charlie? Like, I don't. I don't. The, the thing like, is, that's that's the one. That's the one thing that I could point at as a positive because, like, I wanna I wanna look at at, the, at some things in a positive perspective. However, we're just we're not. I would be shocked if we saw baseball in 2020 and even in 20, 2021. I'm starting to have doubts that we'll see baseball because of the CBA agreement. Yeah, these negotiations can get very scary if we see this resentment that the owners and players have towards each other continue to grow. Not a good outlook at all. Like It sucks that we started this segment hyping up the NBA, and then we have to end it just tearing apart the MLB, which is a league I feel like we all enjoy baseball more than we do the NBA. So it just sucks to have to be this negative towards them. I mean, that's just that's just how the situation yeah. is, and it's super it's unfortunate the that it's like that. Of, of right now. Oh. Are we, uh, are we all good here? I think I've said what I need to say. Yeah. So uh, stay tuned. We'll, when we uh, come back, we'll go over the NFL over-unders, part three of our four-part series. We'll start with the Raiders. You just got to hear what Loft has to say. He has a ton to say. Raiders Nation, baby. And right, we're back. So part three of the NFL over-unders. Uh, we've done part one and two in the last two episodes. We'll do eight more teams tonight with the Vegas win totals. And then we'll go with uh, one last part next episode. So we're going to start off yeah, with the before Raiders. We start, before we start, I just want to say you guys may be like, wait, I don't hear Chust right now. Where's right. my favorite member of the pod, Chust? Where is he? He lost the mush. He lost Where, Where is the mush? What about, like, it's an ongoing legal matter right now. He's at a custody hearing. And when he's back, maybe he phones in later from the courthouse. When he comes back, he'll be happy to talk. But right now we're going to respect his privacy and just continue without him. I know you guys like you guys are here for Charlie, but we'll make do without him for the time being. So we're going to start off with the newly uh, called Las Vegas Raiders first year in Vegas. All the kind of picks that Gruden's been compiling, you know, with the Khalil Mack and Mari Cooper trade, they've all been selected. This is the team that Gruden's assembled. They're over on their set at seven and a half. Our resident uh, Raiders fan lost. Why don't you? Why don't you take it away here? Yeah, this is an easy over for me. Uh, they don't even have to be that good to win eight games this year. They won seven last year when everything fell apart in the second half of the year, and like a lot of things that could have gone wrong for them obviously went wrong. You know, just right off the bat, the Antonio Brown situation. You know, they were re- uh, relying on this guy to be a number one receiver. He flakes on the team. It doesn't work out. And uh, uh, that really hindered them from the start. They dealt with a lot of injuries. Uh, Jonathan Abram, gone in the first game of the season. That's their first-round pick. They were going to rely on him heavily. Uh, Hunter Renfro gets hurt near the second half of the year. They, they dealt with a ton of injuries, uh, uh, starting a lot of injuries in the secondary as well. They hope to address that in the draft. I could see them, even if they they, uh, they like go below expectations this season, they can win eight games. I, I think I'd also send the over, too. Um, uh, they, as they... Literally won like seven games. wasn't a great season last year, so I think it's pretty easy for a club over like probably eight wins. And just with the draft picks of them going with like Clemson and Alabama guys, I just don't think you lose there. That's pretty. That's just kind of the way to go. So yeah, I think I'm gonna take take the over there. Yeah, I'm I'm gonna jump on the bandwagon here. Take the over. Um, adding adding a rugs to a to a strong offense. You know, Derek Carr, mass just notable guy with a massive arm. So I can see the speedy rugs and that car connection building up. Getting some yards going. Carr's probably going to throw like 4,000 yards next year at least. And young star Josh Jacobs, stud, yep. may have been robbed. Some say it was <laughs> robbed of, 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 of Oroy. Oh, no, Oroy. So, yeah, I think 
They underperformed. It was like a nightmare season for them, and they won seven games still. So I think winning above, like, winning eight games is very realistic. Yeah, yeah. so seven and a half is definitely tough. Like, I have them in a seven to eight-ish range. You know, last year they started the year six and four and looked like they were on their way to a wild card spot. People kind of agreed it was a year early for them. So this is kind of the year where they've been building towards recently. I'll go over, though. Like, there's a lot of upside with this team. You have, a, you have basically everyone coming back from last year. You're adding more draft picks. Um, there's definitely, like, a, you have a lot of optimism for the Raiders. You know, they've been building a good thing. Two first-round picks last year. We'll see how Arnett and Ruggs play out. But, you know, I really like what they've been building. I'll go over slightly, 8-8. Eight and eight. I still have my reservations on Carr if he can – get it done in the long term but he's definitely capable and has in the past been able to go over 500 so i'll go over as well uh the next up we have the chargers um you know kind of last year the phil rivers era 15 plus years came to an end vegas has their over under set at eight what do we think of that I'm going to have to go under here just because of the fact that division's tough and someone's going to have to be the team to uh, go like pretty well below 500. Know. And I think it's the Chargers this year. Whether they stick with Tyrod, I don't think he's good enough to lead them to eight wins or they roll with Herbert. He's going to have some rookie QB struggles uh, as he's one of those guys where like if you were to pick a quarterback that's going to be a bust in this class rather than to his you know, health concerns, it'd be Herbert just based on like ability and like where his floor is at right now. So I, I would go with uh, with under eight wins. Uh, yeah, I'm also going to go under there. Uh, it's obviously a new era, getting rid of like their like quarterback for many years, Rivers. Bringing in Herbert, I see like uh, obviously going under. Uh, I see Ty God starting a few games. Like shit, shit just doesn't go right. They throw Herbert in there, and then they're just terrible. They're also in a very tough division with the Raiders, the Broncos, and the Chiefs. Three teams that are clearly stronger than them. Like by like no comparison, they're way stronger than them. Um, so I just don't see a path where they win. Well, win like. The, above what they're set at. So I don't think it's going to be a good season for the Chargers. Yeah, I'm going to hop on the bad way as well. They're, they're just going to go under. I think the real question is, is when there is allowed fans, how many home fans are they actually going to have in LA? Are they going to even be That's close to, to like just filling up that stadium with their fans? Because obviously I think LA sells, so a lot of teams are going to travel there, but they're really, they, they just don't have a great fan base. That's not going to help out. And I think that, you know, with Tyrod and, and Herbert, there might be, you know, two quarterbacks in one season. So I just think it's going to be a hard year for them to get eight and tough divisions to get under. Yeah. Are they still in the soccer stadium for this year? Or are they in the, no, the new LA stadium ready? Yeah, new LA stadium's ready. All right, so that's not going to be a good visual. And every game is like a new, new five o'clock primetime game. Herbert running with the sun coming down in an empty stadium. Yeah. It's just going to be rough. Yeah. Oh, guys, breaking news. Chester breaking is back news. from the custody hearing. Uh, but you want to tell the audience how it went? What are you talking about? How'd the custody hearing go? What custody hearing? He's probably All right, not allowed it's a legal matter. You can't legal talk about it right stuff. now. We'll just keep yeah, rolling. Yeah. You want to push it, so I'll go here. You guys we kind of said everything else. The Chargers do have, like, they have a fantastic defense, a really strong secondary and uh, D-line. Like, they definitely have a lot of talent, which is why I can see it being set at eight. But for all the reasons you said, the quarterback position is just, I can't trust Tyra and Herbert to go over 500, especially when you have teams in that division that are going to be competing. You know, they're probably, the, they have the fourth worst quarterback in that division. So for that reason, I'll go under on eight wins. Charlie? Um, yeah, I'm going to uh, have to agree with uh, you here. The Chargers, I just do not see as a formidable threat in the AFC West, obviously, with the 
defending Super Bowl champion Chiefs in their division, a, a Broncos team that looks to be on on the rise more, and um, the Raiders, who I who I also think like could be like could be a sleeper team for maybe a wild card per se. Um, and the Chargers, they just can't get it done at the end of games. Like they lost so many. I mean, you could say that that's a reason for their their over, but they lost so many one possession games uh, last year, and. If you're losing like every single one possession game that you play in, it, seemingly it just I just can't really see like being able to just like completely change that because it's just like a mentality at that point in a way when you just keep losing those games like week in and week out. So I just I just don't think that they the Chargers have it, and I'm gonna have to go under eight. Yeah, and especially uh, they're one of the most sneaky worst run franchises in sports. Uh, they're, they're always going cheap on the coaching staff. And when you have this cheap coaching staff, how are you going to develop a young quarterback? Like, I, I don't know, like, how to be convinced what Anthony Lynn does when he's coaching. Yeah. I, I just ha- – I like, he's just he, – I, I just don't see him doing anything out there. Also – and, uh, and, and that's even before you get into problems with the offensive staff. Like, I, I don't know how they're going to be able to get a young QB ready to, like, go for a playoff on in year one. Or even just a court- if they stick with Tyrod, he's not talented enough to overcome poor coaching. Yeah, and also um, Justin Herbert, like, coming out of the draft – Pretty much everybody viewed him as a project, right? He's not like he's not gonna be this like great quarterback year one, right? Or maybe even year two. Like he has a a pretty high like a pretty high bust potential out of like the top three quarterbacks that are taken, definitely the highest. Almost like Law said that when you were at your custody hearing. What custody hearing? Okay, it's, okay. it's an ongoing legal matter. We gotta say that. Chester's playing yeah. dumb here. Chester's playing court. Right no, now. I, I he, no. he must have signed something in the courtroom. We got. We're going to shift over to the other team in L.A., the Los Angeles Rams. Last year was definitely there, one of the biggest disappointments in football, coming off a Super Bowl appearance where they only scored three points. They massively underperformed last year, despite bringing in Jalen Ramsey, giving up two firsts. Um, they're over on their set eight and a half wins. This is a fascinating team. It could go in a lot of different directions here, but eight and a half wins over under. What are we thinking? Uh, I think – a lot's been talked about how like, the surrounding cast of the LA Rams is sort of falling apart as they get into this like cap hell situation that they put themselves in, you know, no assets to move, no money. But I, I think at the end of the day, the most important thing is your infrastructure, and that's your GM, coach, and quarterback. I know McVay is going to uh, come out and do a good job. The question is obviously Goff. Is he going to come return to like the Super Bowl season form, or is he going to uh, continue uh, play like he did last year, or even continue to regress as he as the league starts to figure him out more? And I think that's where the whole uh, that's like kind of the X factor of this bet. Uh, if you're going over, you said eight and a half wins. Yeah. It's also a tough division, you know. Obviously, the Niners are coming back from the Super Bowl. Seattle's always a prominent team. I think another uh, thing that would determine this bet is if you think Arizona is really going to take the next step or not. Mm-hmm. I personally don't. So I think I think nine wins could probably be in the cards for the Rams this year. I, I will go over. Um, I'm yeah, I'm going to go just under here. I, I agree with Loft. Like it's it's kind of it's kind of like contingent on like whether or not Goff can, like, step it up from last year. Because, obviously, a huge step back from his Super Bowl season where he's putting up numbers and whatnot. But if he if he could take a step forward, even get, like, mildly back to where um, to where um, he was when they were in the Super Bowl, then, yeah, I could see them making, an, making a run. But they're in a tough division also with the, the Seahawks and the Niners. And if the – I think that the, the cards could make some sort of progress and they could beat them and they could probably split divisional games. So I think it's going to be a tough season for them, and I can see them going just under at eight wins. 
Yeah, I feel like what we saw last year was kind of a trend in the direction they're going towards. I'm going to go under two. They fired Wade Phillips in the offseason, and defense was definitely a weakness of the team. And they're losing five of their starters on defense. Come, like as, When that's a weakness and you're losing basically half your starting unit, that's never a good sign. You know, they're stuck in this kind of murky cap situation. They couldn't really afford to bring anyone in, losing seven total starters. And Goff, you know, we have our questions about him, but at the end of the day, I think the defense is taking a big step back. And with Goff's, you know, his inconsistencies and whatnot, I don't think he'll be able to push the needle enough to compete in that division. Like you said, you have the 49ers coming off the Super Bowl appearance. The Seahawks are going to be there when it's all said and done. The Cardinals are on the rise. So I just think they're trending in the wrong direction. I'm going to go under here, maybe seven wins. I could see even six to eight range. I don't I don't have much like hope for the Rams in 2020. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and take the under also. This is probably like one of the toughest divisions in the NFL. The last two years, they've had Super Bowl teams with the Rams and the, the 49ers. And I mean, I'm a huge believer in Sean McVay, but um, – I just would probably say that they'd probably be like eight, seven, eight wins, and and uh, those Best Buy slash uh, IKEA jerseys are not going to help them out this year. So yeah, I'd probably say under. Yeah, I'm, I'm also going to have to go under here. I just when when you ha- when you regress as much as the Rams did uh, from 2018 to 2019, and you don't have enough salary cap flexibility or draft capital to really improve uh, the the weaknesses that you have on your team. I just don't really see how you can how like they're gonna improve. I mean, I guess one way they could possibly improve is like the running game because they're not gonna have like Todd Gurley, like arth- like arthritis riddle Todd Gurley uh running running the ball anymore and that could potentially open up play action, but we don't know like how their running backs are gonna be. Their offensive line has gotten weaker and weaker like since um since that Super Bowl season. And I just I don't and again, they're in one of if not the toughest divisions in in the nfl so i'm gonna have to go under yeah um so next up we have the dolphins really interesting team ryan flores did a heck of a job last year getting them to play hard all 16 weeks ending the year obviously with that shocking win against the patriots so their over under is set at six rookie Tua coming in there what do we think of that yeah i think this is uh that this is an over for me. While I don't think they're necessarily ready to compete for the division yet uh, this year, just depend on is two over really going to be like that guy year one, uh, which he he might not even play. We don't know. Uh, I definitely think like like with the division being a little bit weaker this year, they could probably uh, get seven wins pretty easily. It wouldn't be that much of a step up from uh, this season, the the season prior to the next one. This one, it wouldn't be that that difficult for them to win seven games. I definitely think they could do it. They had a lot of veterans on defense. They're a well coached team. They should be able to just like stop the run, and they uh they address the offensive line a good amount. They should be able to stop the run and run the ball. That should get them to seven wins. I'd I'd probably go um. Over on this one also, I think that uh, the Dolphins, maybe if you put out, like, Fitzpatrick for a good part of the se- portion of the season, he's going to win you some games. And then maybe if you have Tua, maybe later on in the season, I think that that could help out too. And also just Brian Flores, he did an amazing job last season. I think they had, like, five wins and they beat the Patriots. And this division just isn't um, – just not – you know, obviously I think the Bills are the crown jewel of this division at the moment. But other than that – it's a pretty lopsided division, so they definitely could win some games there. So I'm going to take the over here. Yeah, I'm going to take the over here as well, considering uh, the division. Obviously, the pay- Brady leaving, so the, the division is kind of up in the air. I mean, the Bills are the strongest team in the division right now, but you never really know. Like, 
maybe Allen takes a couple steps back. I don't know. He doesn't play well. The Bills like could could have a, a regression year. Um, but also Flores, great coach. He's proven himself. He's he's a really good coach. Getting his guys to play hard, even if even though like the season didn't go the way they wanted, their defense is definitely a way above average defense. Um, and Fitzpatrick at the QB position, he he'll he'll make some nutty plays, win you some games. Saw that in Week 17 against the Pats. I think it's realistic they can win seven seven games. Sneak a couple games and like and they'll probably they could like realistically win two games maybe against the Jets or the Patriots like it's un- it's unlikely but it's definitely within the realm of possibility so I see I see seven or eight wins possible. The the Dolphins for me are such a uh, tricky team to like analyze at this point because they made so they made so many off season moves obviously and last year they traded a lot of their key assets like Laramie Tomsel and Minka Fitzpatrick for those first round picks. Um, but the, the Dolphins, obviously they made a lot of moves in free agency, Byron Jones, Van Noy, they got a bunch of other uh, New England guys. Um, but they also lost, uh, both their offensive and defensive coordinator from the year before. So it'll be interesting to see like if anything, uh, changes like schematically for them. And, um, I just don't know like what to like, whether or not to, I think six seems like the, the perfect number for them. But I'm gonna go just under because I like even though the Patriots lost Brady, I still think that like they'll be able to like sneak a game, like, like to steal a game from the Dolphins potentially, and like the Bills are obviously still there, and the Jets like seem like they could be a team that could potentially um, improve from the the year before. I just I'm just gonna I have to go under here for the Dolphins. Yes, this is a tough one for me because Brian Flores is my guy. I had him as coach of the year. I absolutely love what they did in the offseason, too, as Charlie said, bringing in a bunch of key defensive guys. I'm going to go push here. Six seems perfect to me. This division, like, it's one of the most competitive divisions and that each team I feel like is going to be beating up on each other a lot. The Jets always split with the Bills. Dolphins and Bills always close games. Dolphins and Pats always close games. And now with Brady gone, you don't have that top guy that beats up on the three bottom feeders. So I think this is going to be like, one of the most fun games in the division. Like you could see a ton of splits and six just seems perfect. I think they're still one more year away before they take that playoff jump, but I still love the direction they're going in. Um, and you know, to he's the guy there for the future. So I'm just going to go six. I think that just seems perfect to me. Uh, next up, we have the Minnesota Vikings coming off a playoff appearance. Kirk cousins got a signature win in the playoffs, obviously winning at Drew Brees. Silencing Shit all over some, the sense. Yeah, he dragged his nuts all over the Superdome. Um, silencing some of yeah, the but... doubters, but that division has has Green Bay, it has Aaron Rodgers in it. Their over-under is set at nine. What do we think of that? I'm a, I'm a huge believer in the Vikings. I'm going to have to go over. Obviously, we don't know how um, the um, – Justin Jefferson will translate in terms of like the production that Stefan Diggs had for the team. Um, Dalvin Cook is in a holdout, which is a is a tricky situation. But at the end of the day, I do think that the the Vikings have enough firepower offensively to be able to complement uh, what I believe to be one of the elite defenses in the NFL. And Mike Zimmer is one of the the better coaches in in uh, in the sport. Um, even though they did lose Kevin Stefanski at offensive quarter, I still think that the Vikings will um, win that division with the defense that they have, and I think that Kirk can do can do enough for that offense. So I'm going to go over here. I'm definitely going to have to go over as well. I think this is a big year for the Vikings. I think uh, they got rid of a lot of the drama that Diggs was bringing in. 
they they kind of they just have that more like professional feel to them right now. And I feel like they're focused on one goal. They made some upgrades to the defense, bringing in Michael Pierce, one of the best nose tackles in the league. Uh, and I, I think this year the Bears and the Lions are both going to be pretty bad. And I think that's going to lead to a lot of wins for them, at least three. I could definitely see them going 4-0 against those teams. And uh, so I think I think it is going to be a big year. I think it's going to be – it might be uh, – I think 13 wins in the possibility for the Vikings. I think they're a really solid team well, this year. I'm going I'm going to go over. Yeah, and uh, one person I forgot to mention that the, the Vikings brought in uh, was one of my favorite players in this year's uh, draft, uh, Jeff Gladney from TCU at corner. I think he'll be a really good, uh, really good addition to, to that defense. Yeah. Um, this is a tough one for me. Like, I see them making the playoffs as one of those six sevens. I don't see them being better than Green Bay. I still think they have the talent around them. And I do like, like, I actually like the Diggs trade for the Vikings, as Loft said. They have a more professional feel. A lot of the drama came from Diggs. He likes to talk a lot, run his mouth on Twitter. Nine, ten wins seems right for me. I guess I'll go over. Loft made a good argument. Um, I still think that defense isn't what it used to be in those kind of prime, in that prime case Keenum year. They're getting older, but I'll go, I'll go nine, ten wins. I'll go the over. All right. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not like big on the Vikings. I don't really know much about their team, but um, looking like looking at the division, obviously Loft said the Bears and the Lions uh, probably, probably gonna be pretty bad next year, both like in some 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 like hellish situations. So I think they'll easily go four and zero against them. And like obviously last year they 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 beat the Saints big. That that was that was pretty interesting to see. Like uh, Cousins getting rid of that like uh, misnomer. I guess, or not a misnomer, but like that that uh, that narrative that he's like can't win in the offs, can't win big. I think I think next year with Green Bay, they're kind of it's kind of a weird weird vibe there, considering when, with drafting a quarterback. I don't know how Rodgers is going to be. Maybe he's disgruntled. They un- underperform. So I think it could be a good big year for the Vikings. Maybe maybe win twelve games, Poss- possibly a division winner. You never know. Yeah, I'm also going to take the over. I think they could definitely beat up on the bottom half of that division with the the Bears and the, the Lions and. Uh, I'm not the biggest Kirk Cousins guy, but he always just seems to play in a team that's good and that's makes the playoffs. They don't, obviously don't take the second step and and uh, go to the Super Bowl and stuff, but but he's definitely he just uh, he wins he wins that's, games. That's a great point. Yeah. What wins games? Uh, obviously Minnesota is just a tough place to play. Uh, I don't, obviously we don't know if um you know fans are not going to be there, but they do got a good defense and as Chuck stated, Jeff Gladney, hell of an addition, just a great cornerback and he's going to help out on the. You know the secondary, and then Justin Jefferson, a good uh, receiver to maybe replace uh, Steph Diggs. So yeah, I think they, they had a hell of a draft. Uh, good team, Georgia. Uh, they got good coach, and so yeah, I'd give them the over there. I think that's a great point by Cap. People do forget that. You know, a lot of people talk shit about Kirk Cousins, but at the end of the day, that, that guy, even on in a dysfunctional franchise like like <laughs> Washington, our words, he was really just like like keeping them level, and they were winning a lot of games. They were a competitive yeah. team every year. And uh, it's the same thing that's happening in Minnesota. While the franchise is more, uh, is less, is definitely less dysfunctional than Washington. Th- there were issues there with Stephon Diggs, uh, with like the weird Everson Griffin situation where he like went missing, uh, like a year and a half ago. And like he just keeps him steady moving forward. And uh, he handled the Stephon Diggs situation uh, really well last. Uh, was that two years ago, or last year? And then he had the Adam Thielen thing. He but he yeah. just keeps the franchise steady. And uh, and he he's kind of like a calming force at quarterback. And a lot of teams could use Kirk Cousins. One last thing I'll say, addition by subtraction, maybe losing Xavier Rhodes. He also was kind of a nutcase in the locker room, and last year had a terrible year, getting burnt like literally every time you see him on the screen. 
So I think that'll help them out. Gladney we will replace him. Um, next up, we have the New England Patriots. First time in our lifetimes, Tom Brady is not the starting quarterback of that team. So, you know, it's, it's a mark of a new era. Uh, nine wins is what Vegas gives them over under. What are we thinking here? Yeah, you hate to bet against Belichick, but nine wins. Uh, th- this is really just a bet whether you think Stidham's good or not. And um, uh, nine wins is a lot. I-, I feel like I feel like this is like a actually this is a push. I think this is a push right here. Nine and seven sounds just about right to me. Uh, with like a, you know the Bills are are coming for the division this year. They're gonna make a run at it. And if they have a young quarterback, they're gonna lose some close games. I think. So I think nine and seven seems about right. This is, I think, personally the hardest one for me because Stidham is such an unknown. Like, if you look at his draft stature and how he got worse seemingly every year at Auburn, it would make you not have much confidence in him. But he's in that perfect system in New England who just, like, they produced wins. Obviously, Tom Brady's been a huge part of it. But you hate to bet against Bill Belichick. Um, He's one of the guys I root for to lose one of the most in all of sports. So it pains me to do it. I will take the over. I don't think it even has to do with Stidham being so good. I think Belichick is like, he's just out to prove something. Like, fuck Tom. He's going to be able to win without him. I think that defense, it's getting kind of old. But I, th- I like what they did there. Um, Stidham is such a question mark, so it's hard to kind of project because that's what it's going to be at the end of the day. But I will go over. I still think they have what it takes to win this division without, like, a clear front runner. Obviously, the Bills are getting better, but they still have to take that next step. And I will go over 10-9 wins seems right for me. Uh, I, I think definitely this one's very hard. Uh, obviously, they you know they really sit him. Nobody really trusts him. Nobody really knows what he is at the moment yet. But they do. They still got Bill Belichick, definitely one of the best coaches of all time. And uh, I, wait, is it is it nine and a half or nine? Nine. I think I'm going to push here. I think uh, – I think that because they just they really don't have many uh, weapons and and we don't really know what Sidham is even though uh, Belichick's a great coach so I'd say I'd say like even like nine wins for that team is an accomplishment so I think they're gonna push that's kind of what I feel there yeah um I've I've been thinking about this one a lot because it is by far in my opinion the toughest one yeah. to to pick from obviously the the Patriots defense is was one of if not the best defense in the league last year. Um, they have the defensive player of the year, Stefan Gilmore, coming back. Obviously, he did struggle in that Week 17 game against Miami. But um, I'm going to have to go um, under here just because the Patriots' offense last year, even with Brady, was just so abysmal. They had, like, none, none of their receivers were able to, like, play well. The, Sony Michelle really regressed from his rookie year. Like, I just don't see enough from the Patriots from an offensive perspective um to be able to like keep that defense like off the field and be able to win games like the the Patriots defense is going to have such a like such an immense amount of pressure on them this year to to perform the way that they did last year and the the offense just I don't see them being good enough to be able to like keep them afloat yeah Sony Michelle underrated just terrible fucking draft pick uh he's yeah underrated just really shitty pick by Belichick uh, you know, you picked not only did you pick the wrong running back, you picked the wrong Georgia running back in well, the, the first wrong, round. Yeah. And, running back. Yeah, and, and he he's just been like really really inefficient for the Pats. Like I, I can't they're the trying to run the ball and play defense, and he can't really you can't, can't really run with, with Sony Michelle. And also he 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 one of his like 
the things that made him a first round talent coming out was his uh, ability to catch the ball. And now, whenever he's in the game, you know they're running it. So it's really killing them. Yeah. I think if you replaced Tony Michelle last year with like a competent back, like if they had Nick Chubb instead, they probably win that Titans game. Yeah, yeah. definitely. They couldn't, they couldn't run the ball. Yeah, uh, I'm going to have to go under here. Uh, obviously, last year, like we saw the, the Patriots offense was just, was just, basically non-existent like even Brady couldn't win with like in the playoffs at least with those guys like they obviously they had a good record but they slowed down like toward the end of the year Sony Michelle terrible running back he's not doing shit out there even with like even with like a good online he's not, you can give him the best online of all time he's gonna be running for like 2.5 yards per carry but yeah they have no receivers they have their best receivers like an aging Julian Edelman who has like a severed shoulder he, he's just nowhere where he was also Stidham's gonna if Stidham is starting next year most likely, he's not going to have any weapons to throw to. The obviously the defense is very strong with Stephon Gilmore, um, defensive player of the year. But also, I just they they like when you look at those teams like like the Jets um, and Dolphins and the Bills. Like I I think the Bills are clearly better, but I still think they'll be able to win maybe against the Jets and the Dolphins. Probably probably split against them because you know Belichick is still their coach. He's still going to be able to scheme some games up, win them some games. But I think uh, maybe seven or eight wins is pretty realistic for the Patriots this year. Okay, so moving on, we have the New Orleans Saints. Definitely been in discussion recently. Um, they're over under set at 10 and a half wins, one of the highest so far that we've done. So what are we thinking here, Saints over under 10 and a half wins? I'm going to have to go under. I think there's a, especially you see it in the last two playoff games they've played, there's a toxic energy around the team right now. And, uh, hey, I hate to get political, but this whole Drew Brees thing, I think it makes the situation more toxic. And I, I think, right, like, this is probably it for them. You, you saw signs of regression in Breeze last year, the first signs of, like, real serious regression, giving Taysom Hill $16 million. I think I think this is probably the year where they take a step back and have to reevaluate where they're going. Yeah, I'm, I'm also going to have to go under here. Um, the problem with the Saints is, like, you, you mentioned that toxic energy. I definitely, like, understand what you're saying. It always seems like it's never their fault that they when they lose. It's it's always somebody's, like, out to get them. It's always the refs that are out to get them or something when they have positions to win games and whatnot. Um, I also think that Michael Thomas, although he is a great receiver, you just, you just saw him being force-fed the ball last year in route to his offensive player of the year. Um, Alvin Kamara took a a big step back from the the production that we saw from him for, through the first two seasons of his career last year. Um, and Drew Brees towards the end of the season, like he couldn't, he had a, he had a hard time throwing the ball downfield. It, it seemed like, and Sean Payton's offense looked best when Taysom Hill was like, was in the game. So I don't, and he's one of those gadget players. I think that they might be able to figure out the, the uh, NFL defensive coordinators. Uh, so I just think that this year, especially with Brady going, to Tampa and you see like, uh, yeah, just Brady going to Tampa that like they could be um, a, a down, a down year for the the saints and what we've seen over the last three seasons. Yeah. I've been notoriously high on the saints. I've had them in the super bowl the last two years and they've let me down both years. I really thought this roster would be the one to kind of like get Drew Brees to second, like the new one. They really reformed that defense a few years ago. They definitely are trending in the wrong direction. You guys said it countless times. Good examples right there. But I'm still going to go over just because 10 and a half, I could still easily see this team winning 11 games. Uh, Drew Brees was out for five games last year. They did go 5-0 and in those games. But 
Breeze, like he's for everything that's going on right now, he's still a great quarterback. His dip last year, I think it was kind of overstated. Like he didn't really he was pretty good after he came back from his injury. I think he kind of needed that rest. But I can I can easily see this team still winning 11, 12 games. Them and the Buccaneers, that's gonna be a clash. It'll be interesting. But especially when you have the Panthers and Falcons in your division, two teams who I don't think pose much of a threat to the Saints. I think they could easily sweep those four games. So I'll go 11 wins. I'll go the over here, 10 and a half. Uh, yeah, I'm going to go just under. Probably uh, I'm, I'm feeling 10 wins for the Saints. Obviously, you look at the roster, very talented team, Drew Brees, stud quarterback. But I think the, the big problem, I think I agree totally with the uh, narrative that like they just have such a toxic culture on this team. They always think like there's this force in the ether that's just like causing them to lose like random games because like someone made a bad call or like something didn't go their way. And like, that's just not a way you want to carry yourself through the league that like there's so the league is just out to get you and they want you to lose. And also Drew Brees' longevity is obviously in question. I mean, like that's a miracle for them last year that, that, that Bridgewater goes five and oh, and wins all those games. Like you see, if he goes down, just taste of hell, like win, win like five games. Like, I don't know. Like, it, it, there's a lot of things in question here. Like it could be a nightmare season for them if Drew Brees suffers some sort of injury. They, they could grossly underperform, but I still think if Drew Brees managed to play at least maybe like like 12, 12 or thirteen games, they, they could probably pull out like a ten win season and and be a uh, playoff team. You mentioned Taysom not being able to go five and zero, but I don't think that's the guy they need in there if it, if, if Brees goes down. I think they have a guy that could go five and zero. Jameis Winston can go five and zero in this league. Uh, yeah. yeah, actually, I, I agree with Hernie. I think that the Saints are at, like, the 10-win mark, just a bit under. I'm really not a huge Saints guy. It dates back to the bounty gate in just the past two years. Of, they're just always complaining about something, and even though they're just scumbags. They literally they, they, they paid guys to hurt guys. It's kind of fucked up. And uh, I think they're just getting hurt now. And, um, yeah, I think with the regression to Drew Brees, they do have a great roster. But I truly think that with Brady in this division, I think they're going to take the crown. I think they'll win a division. I think the Saints will probably be in the wild card. And they're just a bit under. I'm, I'm really not a Saints fan. So yeah, under for sure. Yeah, great yeah. minds think alike, Cap. Yeah, I mean, before before we get uh, uh get into the next team, uh, I just want to say, like, I could go, like, 15, 20 minutes on, like, just the, that 2018 NFC Championship game alone where the, just the excuses that they have. There's so many different opportunities before and after the um the infamous no call on the pass interference happened for the for the Saints to win that game and to be able to stop the Rams it's just re- like it's just ridiculous that they still have this narrative that that was the only reason why they lost that game and at certain points it was it's just ridiculous one thing I'll say to that is that's 100% true everything you just said but even despite that last year that toxic culture that you guys are talking about there it was there last year i mean that that uh, no call and that whole game was two years ago. And last year they hit their over. They had uh, 12 wins, I think. So, you know, I still think despite the culture last year, they were able to go over and Breeze got hurt. But, yeah, so I'm going to go over here. Um, not the most popular opinion. The last team up here, we have the Giants. You know, we have three diehard Giants fans on the pod. Can't wait to think, see what you guys think. Uh, six and a Giants half Giants Nation, baby! <laughs> What Vegas gives them, so six and a half wins. Are they going over or under? I'm gonna go just under at six wins. I think the Giants are definitely uh, headed in the right direction. Daniel Jones has a lot of potential. He's re- we saw some flashes last year. I saw some flashes in real life against the Eagles late yep. season. Had that insane like pull- he pulled it, ran for like a, a first down on, on fourth and ten, crazy play. Danny Dimes is a stud. 
Um, obviously, like adding to their secondary um, and adding to the O-line, I think they're heading in the right direction. I still think they're like a few years away from actually like being a competent like playoff uh, bound team. But I think they're heading in the right direction. I think six wins is pretty realistic for the Giants. Um, I'm also going to have to go under for, for uh, under six and a half for the Giants just because there's way too many unknowns for the Giants. We don't know how – like, the Giants completely cleared house in terms of the coaching staff last year. Joe Judge brought in a ton of new guys to the, to the coaching staff. We don't know how it's going to, like, mesh with the, like, with the players and everything, how the scheme is going to work out. Um, they did bring in Andrew Thomas fourth overall. I like that pick. Uh, solid, solid pick to bolster the offensive line. He has versatility. Um, Xavier McKinney also does the same thing for the secondary, has versatility and can – and, and really excels at multiple uh, facets of the position. Um, and but at the end of the day, it's, there's too many unknowns. I don't know how Jason Garrett's going to do calling calling the Giants offense this year. I don't know how Patrick Graham after after uh, being the defensive coordinator for the Dolphins last year. I don't know how that, that's going to work with this year. They still haven't really they still haven't signed Marcus Golden, who was probably their best defensive player last season. So I just don't see a I don't. I don't really know enough about like this year's Giants team because it's going to be so so much different than than it was last year under Pat Shermer. So I'm I'm going to have to go under just because I I don't know. Yep, as as the rest, uh, I bleed blue. Love the Giants. It's been a long time Giants fan. Seen two Super Bowls, just amazing. But lately, it's been a shit show. I think they're definitely under here. I think this season's really contingent on Joe Judge. Uh, the Giants, you look at them the past couple of years. They're losing a lot of games, but they're really not getting blown out. They just don't really know how to win. They just don't know how to win games. They just really don't. Some in the culture in the locker room that's just not right. Maybe Joe Judge recovers it. Maybe he makes it worse. I don't know. And if you look at the Giants, they haven't beat the Eagles or the Cowboys. I think since like 2016. That's something that's just been you know that's that's terrible. You just, you just can't have that happen. They're terrible in their own division. They, I mean, they have been beating up on the Redskins, but the Redskins sucked. So I mean, that doesn't really say much. But, uh, yeah, I, I think this team, I mean, they got the weapons on offense. They got uh, the receivers, running back, quarterback, really the old line. If they tighten up, I think they can have a good offense. And the defense, it's you really don't know where you're going to get with them. I think that's why they're so inconsistent. They just don't win many games. Yeah, I think this is a pretty easy under. But, you know, hopefully this season they, they do progress in some facets of the game. Yeah, I'm really fascinated to see what direction the Giants go in because I am glad they finally committed to Daniel Jones and kind of got rid of Eli. I feel like the last few years, the writing's been on the wall. Eli can't do it anymore. And they kind of stayed with them, I think, a little too long. And Daniel Jones, like, I'm fascinated to see his progression because we saw a lot of good last year. We also saw a ton of bad. So he really was a mixed case. Charlie was gracious enough to invite me to his first ever start in MetLife against the Redskins. Thank you, Charlie. Um, But, you know, bringing in Joe Judge, Jason Garrett, I'm really fascinated to see how that pairing works. And if Judge is able to kind of keep get the right culture in place, you know, we've seen the culture has been an issue with the Giants. Gettleman maybe not the best at assessing who's right for that culture. But at the end of the day, the head coach is going to have a massive impact on this team. So six and a half, I'll go right under. I think the defense still needs to take steps forward. The O-line is still too much of a weakness for me. So I'll go six, five wins kind of in that range, third in that division. Yeah, uh, I'll go under. That's really all I have to say. Like, the, I just feel no excitement or anything around the Giants right now. Like, they just feel like a crazy loss, like a bottom of the NFL franchise. Just have to gonna have to go under. <laughs> I will say, I is believe, like, I believe how could you say that about my Giants? 
So I've low-key have some pop value. I got some pop value. What I will say about the Giants is each year we see like a second-year quarterback take a huge step, and that team just comes out of nowhere and shocks you and wins a ton of games. So like nobody's saying the Giants. And nobody is saying everybody's everybody's saying the Broncos. Everybody's saying the Broncos. They get low-key pop off this year. Could I say something? Uh, Could I say something? I mean, yeah. yeah the Gi- I mean, the Giants. Like when you look at their receiving core, it's like not. It's not like terrible. I mean, like Danny Dimes has like some. Has some like good. He's got Shepard, uh, Tate, fucking you know, Slayton. Like, Slayton. Yeah, Slayton. yeah. He, he could throw. He could throw to some guys. You know, maybe they maybe they blow up when like seven or eight games sneak, sneak in the off somehow. I don't know. I yeah. think their defense is like really yeah, bad and really slow. Yeah. They can't cover anybody. For all the options that we just provided, when the money came to it, we all took the under here. So they still definitely do need to take steps forward. Um, Yeah, anything else to say? Absolutely. Yeah, so that was part three of our uh, over-under win totals. We'll be back with part four in the next episode. We'll start off with my New York Jets. That'll be an interesting one. Um, But So, yeah, thank you guys so much for watching. Um, This was a good episode. Um, yeah, I mean, you guys are the best. Thank you so much for supporting us. Yeah, watch me rip this shit. You changed my words. I remember that. Chelsea just went off the deep end, bro. Uh, uh. Are we still recording? Yeah. Let's go.